Welcome to Exploring Possibilities. I'm your host, Cheryl Sitz, and I've created this show to demystify holistic wellness one conversation at a time. You'll get to know the person behind the practice, what inspired them to express their gifts and talents the way they do, and then we'll dive into their practice for a deeper understanding. There are so many ways that we can heal ourselves and our planet. Why not play in possibility? See what resonates for you. You'll find over three years of archived shows at journeyofpossibilities.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and you'll never miss a show. If you do subscribe, I'd like to ask you to rate us so that others will find our show as well. Thank you so much for that. We'll introduce today's guest right after these messages from our sponsors. As I've met and worked with all these holistic practitioners, my life has literally transformed. So much so that I studied to learn how to be a holistic practitioner and transformational life coach so that I can pass along some of this transformation to you because life is short. We deserve to live it. Life is a journey of possibilities. Are you ready? What do you say? One session? Why not? Reach out to me at CherylSits.com and let's play in possibility. Our new digital magazine is packed with inspirational stories and valuable tips to live a more holistic, spiritual life. Check out the premiere issue at journeyofpossibilities.com. If you like what you see, subscribe for free and get a new issue every three months delivered straight to your inbox. That's right, it's free at journeyofpossibilities.com. Practitioners, contact us for affordable advertising too. That's journeyofpossibilities.com. Have you ever gone to a social media seminar and you have the online experts telling you, get a blog, get a website, get on social media, all this other stuff. By the time you're done with that seminar, that online expert is very good at frying your brain. (laughs) The funny part is you come back home, you get in front of the computer, and you're lost. Hi, I am Mario with Tech Life Balance. I see this all the time. You spend so much money and still don't know what is going on with your online presence. And you know, you probably don't need all of that. Let me go ahead and translate Geek to English for you and show you what you really need because you don't need it all. You probably only need a few components. You have a great message out there and I would like to hear it and I definitely want to help you put it out there. I am Mario Rosales with TechLifeBalance.net. I produce this podcast because I love distributing messages. Let me help you distribute your message. Today's guest on our show is Teresa DeFord. Now, Teresa is an attorney, shareholder, and owner of the DeFord Law Firm. She's got almost 20 years of legal practice, and she's expanded into family law and estate planning. Teresa loves helping women protect themselves, their families, their homes and businesses. She does all kinds of services, premarital agreements through divorce and estate planning if necessary. She does wills, power of attorney, medical directives, trusts, probate. She's also co-authored a book called More Than Money, How to Leave a Lasting Legacy to Your Family. I had the pleasure of meeting Teresa in a leadership Montgomery County class here in Texas in 2009, best class ever. And in that class was also Mario Rosales, who produces this podcast and publishes each issue. So it's kind of like a family reunion here. We're excited to have you. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you. And it was the best class ever. It was the best class ever. We had a lot of fun. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad that you agreed to be with us today. I know you have a busy schedule, but when we sat and visited recently and I saw your passion for the work that you do with women, I really wanted to have you on the show. I'd like to start by asking you, 
if you always felt called into law or how you came into the legal practice in general, and then we'll move into how you work with women. Well, that's, that's a, a good question. I am one of the very strange people uh, that always wanted to be a lawyer from the time that I was a little girl, and I have no idea where that came from. <laughs> I grew up in a very small town in Michigan, in central Michigan, which is all farming. I didn't know any lawyers. There were no lawyers in my town, so I, I really don't even know where this came from, but apparently I, that's something I always wanted to do. My mother has said from day one, um, I was one of the one of those kids that um, – that when I was about five, I'm told I, I made signs to um, uh, walk up and down the street supporting women's rights in the ERA. <laughs> That's awesome. So here I am, um, you know, almost 50 years later and, <laughs> and still doing it. I think that's great. I, I love that. You know, what I wanted to do with my life morphed and changed over the years, and it's still kind of morphing and changing. So I'm fascinated by people who've kind of always known what they wanted to do. And it sounds like you've always had a calling to support empowering women as well. Yeah, I, I really have. I mean, my, my career has probably morphed like yours. Over the years, I've done different things and, and expanded into when I eventually did go to law, su- law school, did different types of law, but I always sort of worked my way back into supporting um, women. Well, I think that's great. And tell me a little bit about, well, so you personally, you have a family, right? You're a mom and a wife. and I am, yes. I have uh, been married uh, 24 years and have two boys, 16 and almost 10. Wow. And they must have a hard time trying to pull one over on an attorney for a mom. I don't envy them at all. <laughs> you know, they both they both have the gift of gab themselves and can argue uh, their way out of a paper bag. So, so I, I'm probably the one that have it more has it more <laughs> difficult because I have to argue with them. <laughs> I'll bet. Well, and I'm sure they're going to be very good and articulate because they're growing up in that environment. So that's great. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you went from business law into now it looks like you really are focusing more toward family law. Was that a lot of extra education on your part to go back and pick that up later or? It, it was some, um, you know, the law is what the law is. And, and when you when you go to law school, you are you are taught to um, understand and and discover the law in, in different areas. So, it, it you know, you you. You know where to find the information, um, and even if you don't practice in a given area, you, you can pick those areas up pretty quickly. I did do um, uh, actually business law and personal injury litigation for a long time, um, and several years ago, I did. I, I think I just got tired of, of representing businesses directly, where I didn't feel like I had a, a, a real input into what the business was doing and there was no personal connection. Um, and so I, I started, I would say dabbling really just kind of helping people that I knew out on, on the family law side and, um, and then eventually working into some estate planning and, and it, it just felt right. It, it felt like I was on the right path and that's where I needed to be. I think it would be hard to be involved and, see some of the things that are happening to the family unit and not being in family law, we just kind of have more of a social perspective on it that the family unit has become one where many marriages do end in divorce. And there's some really ugly divorces going on out there. How does that work for you? I mean, how do you kind of feel about working in an industry where do you see a lot of that? And how can you kind of help them toward more peaceful resolutions if possible? 
Well, I well, I'll be honest with you. I I will avoid a case where the where the parties are out to kill each other, <laughs> not li- not literally, but mm-hmm. figuratively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I avoid those cases. I don't want to get into a case where the parties are fighting like cats and dogs, and um and are just not willing to come to a resolution. That is not a situation where I feel I can help people. Right. Uh, if that's what they're bound and determined to do, uh, it's just to tear the other side up, then, then I really don't want to be a part of it. I gravitate towards people who are looking to resolve their divorce or family law issue um, with with as peaceable a resolution as possible. Sometimes that's not always possible. But if the goal is there, that sort of dictates how things proceed. And and that makes it a lot easier um, to get to a a resolution that's in everyone's best interest as opposed to just fighting for the sake of fighting. I agree. I think the intention behind it, the energy behind it has a lot to do with it. Well, don't you hope to get involved before it goes there? I mean, a lot of what you do seems more like it's geared toward planning and you know, hoping for the best outcomes and covering yourself and, and that kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. I mean, if I can, if I can help ahead of time, part of that's education, um, in a couple of different fronts. Uh, I recently started working with a, a divorce financial advisor and a divorce recovery coach, and we've started doing some workshops to educate, uh, women and men, um, you know, about what the divorce process is, what it looks like and, and, if if they find themselves going through it, how to to manage that in a way that is best for them, um, you know, holistically, all all around from from their own personal recovery to the financial side of it to the legal side of it, um, and in some cases, you know, this kind of goes more to uh, to what I talk to women about and men about the estate planning process. I mean, there's there's so many people out there that. In marriages, they have their their roles, and one party may be the the person who handles all the money and the finances, and the other spouse handles something else, um, the family, the 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 home, um, um, and they never share those roles or or consider what might happen if something happens to one of them, whether that's by death or by divorce. In some situations. You know, if 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 the surviving spouse or the sole solo spouse now than the newly divorced person never had any involvement in finances, for instance, they're lost. Um, and and so you know, it's 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 for your own protection to make sure that you understand what's going on in your financial world um, to to make sure that that you don't end up in that position. I totally agree with you. And I, and I had one of those marriages too. You know, I did the money and the bills and stuff, but I don't think either party benefits from that. The one who's handling all the money may feel like they're in charge, but they're also the one that gets the resentment when they have to say there's no money for this or we can't do that or what. And, and it's too much burden on one person. And then the other doesn't have that responsibility. And then if something happens, like you say, they're lost. I totally agree with you. I, after my divorce, I went through the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University with my now ex. And it was interesting to watch the light bulbs go off for both of us. And and too late, probably we saw that we should have divided those responsibilities up long before it came to the divorce. You know, it, I agree with you. It's important. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it does create a burden on on um, the spouse who is handling it um, and, and the potential for that resentment, even though they may be doing everything right. Um, it, it just makes sense for both 
both people to be involved and have that to shoulder that responsibility jointly for that reason to make sure that the, 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 the responsibility is on both people's shoulders and there is I won't, I won't say no resentment, but less right or it's shared at least. You're both it's upset shared. if you can't do what you want to do instead of it being one person's quote unquote fault or or blame or whatever. And and, and then both have the ability to access the information, um, handle things. If God forbid a you know there's an, a, an accident or or death, I, you know, so that the that the surviving person is not completely shut out. And, and, you know, and I think that's really important. I mean, even when we're not talking about cases of divorce or, or any situation where one party is finding fault with the other, it's just a practical resolution to make sure that both parties know what's going on in their life. Well, and it's not just about, like you say, the money. I mean, also medical things can happen and all of a sudden somebody's out of the picture. And I mean, you know, we're one accident away from heaven forbid a coma or something. And then what happens to that other person who's not prepared for any of that? Exactly. And that's part of what you do as well, right? With the medical directives and stuff is just as much planning and, and communication up front. Yes. I mean, I, it, it is so important for people to have not only wills in place, but in my mind, even more importantly, the medical directives, legal and financial directives, and a, and a directive to physicians in case um, um, they are at the end of their lives and want their family to know what they would want done in that situation. You know, a lot of people don't think about, they think, well, I need a will, or, or I don't need a will because I don't have anything. Well, you have your health, you have, you have right. the assets, you know, that you, that you have in your life, whether that just be a bank account or a car or, or just your personal stuff. Um, if you are in an accident or incapacitated in some way medically and can't speak for yourself, the bills still need to get paid. Someone needs to make a decision whether you should have surgery or they should um, give you a blood transfusion, for instance. And so by having those directives, those those powers of attorney, you give that authority to someone to act for you when you can't. And I, in my mind, those are as, more, as much important, if not more important, than having a will. Because, um, you know, you're presumably going to come out of it at some point. You want to make sure that, <laughs> right. that everything's been taken care of. Well, not just with your health. So it's not just with the physicians, but it's also with the bill collectors and stuff. I've been through this a couple of times. And and I've been through it with a parent that didn't have a directive in place. And we didn't know his wishes. And it was my father and he went on to a ventilator. And we were kind of stuck bound by the laws that exist if you don't have a directive in terms of how long you have to wait, how long they have to stay like that. My mom at least had power of attorney to be handling some things on his behalf while he was in there. But that's just something you don't want to put somebody you love through having to make those decisions for you because you didn't make them in advance. That's exactly right. I mean, it, and, it, and it, it gives yourself peace of mind to take care of those those issues. And like you said, your family so that, you know, if something does happen to you, they don't have to make the decisions. You've already made the decision for yourself um, and and have and have paved the way for those decisions to be made by having the right documentation in place. It's interesting. A lot of people don't know that or don't think about the fact they have 18 year olds who may be starting college. Uh, this is a good time to talk about it now as we're starting the school year. 18 year olds are legally adults in all states that I'm aware of. And 
once they are legally adults, a parent no longer has the legal authority to make medical decisions for them mm. or to make financial or legal decisions for them. So it's really important, especially if your kid is going off to college somewhere that's not close by, to make sure that they have those powers of attorney naming you as their agent so that if something happens where they have a medical emergency um, that you can take action on their behalf. Um, it, you know, you have the legal and financial power of attorney so that if, if you needed to get in and pay their bills or deal with their bank account, um, that you have that legal authority. The other thing that a legal and financial power of attorney will give the parent access to is the kid's grades. Uh, once, oh. <laughs> once they're adults, even if you may be paying the bill, the school doesn't have any legal obligation to talk to you about Right. Wow. Um, so, so something that, you know, a lot of people just don't really think about until, you know, God forbid the, the, the something bad happens and then they've got to deal with these issues. So really important. Right. Thank you for that reminder. That's a great tip. I know that your greatest passion has been in empowering women through some of these things. What have you seen? How do you see that women tend to be at a disadvantage? What things might you want to share with a woman listening now that she may not have thought about that kind of tends to put her at a disadvantage? Well, I think for a lot of women, it is it is not knowing what their financial situation is. That's a big, a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also not having been in the home for many years, whether they um, were educated and or worked in the workforce um, prior to or in their early marriage, you know, if they've been at home with the kids, that's going to be a big abrupt change for them. <laughs> um, if if they end up going through a divorce, because in most situations, uh, unfortunately, they're they're going to have to end up going back to work um, and and contributing to their household expenses in addition to any support that they may be getting. So I think those those two are are things that that really hit home for most women that they're just that you know they may be in shock over the fact of of getting divorced in the first place it may not be their decision and even if it is they may not think about those financial ramifications and how it's going to change their lifestyle yeah and and even being the one that handled the money there's just so many things that we're not prepared for we do you know we all intend for the best i think we all do the best with what we have and so we we marry believing that we're going to stay married and so there's just so much that's unexpected without having to not know a clue about where you're at financially or how about uh in in the custody of children and in the division of assets are there things that women can do to to be more conscientious and to to kind of protect themselves against the unexpected? What do you coach them on that? I think, you know, with regard to um, child custody and possession and access issues, although I think that's what a lot of people fear um, is losing their children, um, the laws in the state of Texas really, really don't lend themselves to that. I mean, you're going to have one parent who is going to be the what's called the primary parent, meaning that's where the kids are going to live with primarily. But but there's the other parents always going to have visitation and access and 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 many workout arrangements where it's it's more shared than even what the Texas legal minimums are for possession and access. And and I think I think a lot of the fears that surround um, custody and possession and access are are 
unfortunately unfounded and it's a lot of a lot of just fear mongering and sometimes that comes out you know when when you start going through a divorce and everyone's not playing nice anymore you know one spouse tells the other one well i'm going to take the kids or i'm going to do this and 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 truthfully that that just doesn't happen i mean it, it, no parent is going to be prevented from seeing their kids assuming that they're not a crack addict or in you know jail for murder I mean, it's just not going to happen um and so i i i and I, and I will go back and say, you know, you asked me about the things that women need to think about. I think one thing that they need to watch out for is, is number one, listening to their soon to be former spouse and, and listening to what that person has to say and tell them what's going to happen because nine times out of 10, they're not telling you the truth right. <laughs> or they don't know the truth and they're just telling you what they think they want. Um, and so that, again, that just brings so much fear out in people um, when when the truth is, is very far from what they're being told. Right. Well, and Texas is a, a community property state, right? So we have some pretty interesting laws concerning yes. our money and our possessions anyway. Is there anything generally misunderstood about that that you want to speak to now? Or? Oh, it's, 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 there's a lot that's misunderstood. Even though people kind of, they've heard that term community property and they kind of get a, a general idea that it's shared, um, people still believe, well, the house is in his name, so it's his. And the retirement's in, in his name, so that's his. Well, that's not the case. It doesn't matter whose name is on what account or what asset. Every piece of income, every dollar that comes into the marriage and everything bought with dollars brought into the marriage, even if only one person is earning the money, is essentially equally split between the parties. So if if the wife stayed home for 20 years and didn't earn a dime of, of actual income coming in the door, she still owns, you know, give or take 50% of every asset that they have be that retirement accounts in the husband's name or any property that's been bought. Um, and, and, and I hear it all the time where, where women say, well, that's in his name. That's his car because it's in his name and this is in my name. And, and they, just, they just don't get it. So um, that's, that's, that's part of our education process is just letting people know. And, and, and I think that also leads to fear is if, if you think that everything in the marriage, even though you've heard this community property term, if you think everything is in your spouse's name and you have nothing, you're less likely, less likely to leave a bad marriage because you don't think you have any, anything to gain by getting out of it. And that's usually not the case. Right. I'm glad that you said that. And, and the thing I want to say while we're talking about good marriages and bad marriages and such is a lot of times there are kids involved. And I've heard so many people say that they're staying for the children. And while I understand those reasons, I also hope they see that they're teaching their children by what their children are growing up around, what is and isn't in a, in a good relationship, what a, you know, a man and a woman do act like and don't act like. They're learning from us every move that we make, much more than they learn what we tell them. They learn what they see. So there's kind of two sides to that coin about staying in a bad marriage, quote unquote. Yes. I mean, I think most counselors would tell you, and I'm, I'm not a counselor, but I think most would tell you that it's, it's far worse for you to stay in a bad marriage and for the kids to see that um, and, and, and to see a, a dysfunctional relationship than it is for them to be, have two separate households and um, be able to function independently. 
Um, if the parents can get along better by not living together, that's always in the kid's best interest. I agree with you. And I want to step back one time and clarify when you were talking about the things coming into a marriage, and I'm sure there's lots of exceptions that we could talk about. But one thing that I experienced personally is when you say all the the dollars and things and what's spent with the dollars that come into the marriage, inheritance is handled a bit differently, right, in terms of, of what might be inherited from a parent's estate during during the marriage? Or, or does that fall under the same 50-50 thing? No, you're right. And obviously there are exceptions and inheritance is one that's not, it's not really considered income in in a sense. It's considered as if it were a gift. Um, Any gifts during a marriage are, are not community property. They are that person's separate property. So as you said, you know, an inheritance would be a gift from someone else and, and that becomes um, the, the person who's receiving it, their separate property. Um, One thing that people need to to watch out for with those types of gifts is making sure that it stays separate. That is something that I would, you know, give people as a tip that if you get an inheritance and you chunk it in your joint accounts and then you use that joint account to pay bills, now all of a sudden that inheritance looks a lot more like community property than an inheritance. So (laughs) you want to make sure that if you get something as a gift, whether it be money or or other assets, that that you maintain its separate nature um, so that that doesn't sort of get caught up in all of the community assets. Right. Great tips. These are all great tips. So you said that you've created a couple of workshops. What are some of the big points that you like to cover in terms of educating people? Can mm-hmm. you share a couple of those with us today, maybe? Sure. Yeah. Um, so obviously, we educate on on financials, um, making sure that um, if at all possible, if someone is is not started the divorce process, and, but is thinking about it that they are that they are doing their homework ahead of time to discover what what their financial situation looks like to the extent they can if they're not already involved in it. But you know, pulling together bank statements, pulling together tax returns, pulling together any sort of information that will help identify where those assets may be so that they can be. Uh, divided in the divorce, um, or you know, a, even if they're not sure if they're going to be divorced or not. But but again, getting back to taking responsibility for that financial piece and and having an understanding of, of what's out there um, as their marriage continues. The other thing um, that that we educate on is really just to get rid of a lot of the fears, the fears surrounding custody and and support. One thing that I know comes up a lot is. Do I have to stay in the house with with uh, my spouse, or what happens if I leave the house? Um, and and a lot of people feel like their the concern is that if they leave the the marital home, that they give up any rights to that uh, down the road. And that's not the case. Um, you know, in some cases, people financially can't swing to households, even even when things are not pleasant in a marriage. Um, and so if, if they have to, both, pe- both people can stay in the house. I mean, when you own a house together or when, or even if it were in one person's name, it is a community asset, it is the marital home, and, and neither one can kick the other out, assuming that there's no allegations of family violence. Um, but if you do decide to leave or your spouse decides to leave, neither one of you gives up the right to that asset. It just may make the process a little bit easier if you're not having to look each other in the face every day. (laughs) Yeah. 
for us, we just moved to opposite ends of the house for a little while and made it work, you know? <laughs> and a lot of people are able to do that. You know, most some people's houses are big enough. They can you know, move in separate bedrooms and, 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 you know, not let the kids see that anything is, is necessarily amiss. Um, and, and, and financially, sometimes people need to do that. Um, it's, it is expensive for one person to move out and, and have to rent an apartment or get another house. And now you're paying two sets of bills. And so, you know, if, if financially it can work and, and, and the two parties can get along well enough um, or ignore each other well enough <laughs> to make it workable, then sometimes that's a good solution. What about legal concerns with the children? You brought up a good one while ago about, you know, when they reach 18. But <laughs> what other legal concerns do you advise parents in terms of family law that to, to take care of with their children? Anything? The, the other one I would talk talk about would be um, medical powers of attorney, even for minor children. If you are um, allowing your kid to say, go on a ski trip with a friend or, or um, you know, go on a vacation with some friends um, at, at something like that, you want to make sure that the people that are, are, that are taking care of your child have a medical power of attorney for them in case something were to happen that they can get medical treatment. And those are really simple and, um, you know, as, as long as they have that and a copy of your medical card, they can make sure that your, your child can get medical treatment wherever they are. That's something that's real important. Great. What kind of changes are you seeing in family law? Anything we need to be aware of? You know, I, I um, legal changes, there haven't been any, any major legal changes in the last couple of years. Obviously, in Texas, our legislature only meets every couple of years. And so, um, um, we, we don't have ongoing changes there. I, I would say just from a practical perspective, I do see more people. I, I think there are more people interested in trying to work things out as peaceably as they can, um, without going to war. Um, you know, there's different types of, of ways to resolve, um, or dissolve a marriage, um, there's, there's something called collaborative law, which is, which I think the concept of it is, is wonderful. It's the idea that we, we try to work things out, um, without spending a lot of time in court, but the, the, the structure of that in Texas can be somewhat expensive. Um, so I, I see a lot of people, um, uh, uh, you know, even just dealing in a non-collaborative, a non-formal collaborative situation, really trying to work things out as best they can amongst themselves. They may get attorneys involved to to handle the legal parts of it and make sure that they're protected where they should be. But I, I see more people working together to come up with the practical resolution, which I think is, is a good sign. I think that's that's good for everyone involved. That is wonderful news. I mean, at the time that I divorced, when I told people that I was still getting, you know, I get along fine with my ex, they're like, really? Yeah, really. I, you know, we were friends first. And I hope that we'll always be at least friends that we held on to the best of that if we could, if the rest of it didn't work out. And I've noticed more people responding with, yeah, I know somebody else that's friends with their ex. And so that is encouraging to me to hear that that's not just in my world, but a trend that you're seeing as well. Yeah, I, I, I really... I think it is a trend and I think I think more people are doing their own self introspection and and really working on themselves and a, a lot of times when you do that I think you can let go of all the all of the hurts and pains that 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 you had before whether you know 
not that you forget, but that you can perhaps forgive and, and move on. And, and I, I just see more people working on themselves. And, and I think that leads to better results, uh, which is why we have in the seminars we've been doing, we have a divorce recovery coach. Um, you know, I, I think everyone that goes through a divorce probably ought to have some sort of therapy um, you know, whether that's just group therapy, going to a divorce care workshop or something like that. But, but the lady I'm dealing with, who's actually a divorce recovery coach, she's not a therapist, but she helps people sort of map out a plan for their life after divorce, during and after divorce. And, and, and sometimes that's just what we need is just a path towards the future. And, you know, when you're in the midst of it, it's hard to see that. So having, having that support along the way is crucial. I agree with you. I have a friend who's going through a divorce and you know, it's it's a death. It's a death of of something that we had intended for our future together. It's the death of our future plans, of our of our relationship together. And so there is a grieving process involved and it can be difficult to put together something that encourages you forward. So I'm glad to hear that you have some kind of a coach in place for your clients to help them move forward. That's that's so important. It is. It is. Um, because you can get stuck um, and never get beyond it. Um, and, and I will tell this story to you because a lot of people, they, they talk to me and say, well, you've been married 24 years. What do you know about divorce and, and struggle? The, the, the women I'm doing the seminars with have both been divorced. And so they, they have had personal experience. And, but but I, I will tell you, um, I, I guess the story that I look to is I had a, um, an aunt who was divorced when I was probably 11 or 12, um, and, and she had been married a long time, 26, 27 years, and, so, and, and she was never able to get out of it. She, she was just completely stuck in who she believed she was and what her role in life was, and, and once that marriage ended, she was never the same, and in fact, eventually committed suicide. Now, obviously had some mental issues that were maybe unrelated to the divorce um, and, and maybe contributed to it. I don't know. But but I look at, you know, look back at that part of my life and think, you know, I, I don't want to see women in that position. I want them to know that there is a future and that they can they can come out of divorce on a good side. And it's, it's I mean, it is a death. It is something you have to grieve, but there's ways to move on. Yes. And oftentimes, by the time we're having those kinds of conversations and divorce is coming into our reality, if you will, things have gotten pretty bad. And so as much as it's hard to grieve the death of something, it can be so much harder to stay in something once it's that broken. So absolutely. Yeah, definitely moving forward. Do you have some workshops you want to tell us about that are coming up that people can attend or I do and I don't have the date in front of me. (laughs) I think the first one is the next one that we're going to have here in the woodlands is um, September 10th, I believe. And uh, for your listeners, they can look at uh, the Wise Woman's Guide to Divorce on Facebook, and they'll see uh, on that page, we'll have our seminars listed. So do you have any parting thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with in terms of family structure, family law considerations? What would you like to leave them with today? I think what I'd like to say is, is, is really more geared towards parents uh, who may be divorcing, and and that is to to know that you have to do what's best for your children. And sometimes, as we talked before, sometimes that means not staying in a relationship that's not healthy for you. Um, 
and 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 maybe your children are are fine with your spouse, but if you're not in a good place, your kids see that. They know what's going on. Kids are so perceptive, and getting getting yourself to a a space that is that is better for you is only going to benefit them in the long run. Um, you know, divorce does not have to be. Um, a, a black mark on anyone, and and in many cases, those kids are just so far better off being in two happy homes than in one sad one. And I think if everyone really works to keep that in mind about what's what am I doing, what is best for my kids, and and that is for many people that that continues, you know, even after the divorce is done, you still have to be a, a parenting partner with your ex spouse. And, you know, we see people coming back time and time again, well, he did this or she did that. And, um, you know, if, if, if everyone takes the high road, the kids are, are much better off. That is so true. I've done mediation and I've done that kind of work with families and divorcing parents workshops. And, and again and again, it's the kids that get caught in the middle and, and it does hurt them. It hurts them to see their foundation shaking like it is when parents are coming apart and two homes are being created instead of one and all of that. So the more that their feelings can be considered in the middle of it, the better they're going to be for it. So I'm so glad you said that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And kids are so resilient. I mean, they will, they will thrive in, in situations that are what, not what you envisioned. Um, they're, they're so resilient um, and, and in many cases, especially with young children, they may not know anything different in the end, as long as they see that, that you're in a good place and that your ex-spouse is in a good place and everybody loves them. That's all they need. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to following your work. And so they can find your, should they go to the law firm website or the wise woman's guide or? It's not on my website yet, but um, um, it, we will hopefully have that up soon, which is at defordlawfirm.com but I also have a Facebook page under Deford Law Firm and um, there's a Facebook page for the divorce seminars that is called Wise Woman's Guide to Divorce. Thank you so much Teresa and I wish you you all the best. Thank you so much Cheryl. Would you like to be a guest on Exploring Possibilities? Drop me a note at info at journeyofpossibilities.com Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.